You guys can have a seat. You know, what an incredible gathering so far. Can we just praise Jesus once again for the life change put on display through baptism? Can we make some noise for that? I mean, it's just incredible. And I want to let you know, if you want to read the stories of Eli in the 1130, Logan and Madison are getting baptized. If you want to read their stories, we have them in blogs on our website, and it's going to be on the screen. So you can just go to our website and read their stories because they're incredible and an opportunity for us just to celebrate life change. So this morning, we, we started out with baptism. And we're from baptism to singing a song about the power of God's word. We had an incredible time where we could just hear vision through hosting of what's coming up and opportunities to worship, connect, and serve. And then we just finished singing about the beautiful, the powerful, the wonderful, I got them out of order, but still you guys get it, the name of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I'm fired up this morning. Anybody else fired up? I mean, it's incredible, the privilege that we have to gather here. And here's the best part. Jesus has more. He's not done yet, but he has more for us this morning. I'm convinced of that. And so for us to step into more, the more that he has for us, we want to discuss change moments. So when you take a step back, when I take a step back and look at the life of an individual or of an organization, we are able to see moments that mark a distinct shift in the mindset of that individual or in the culture of the organization. These change moments, we're going to call this morning, we're going to refer to them as tipping points. If you've read Malcolm Gladwell's book with that title, our definition doesn't line up precisely, but there is a lot of overlap in his definition. And think about your life. In our lives, if we take a step back, we can see change moments or tipping points that altered our mindset and therefore shifted the trajectory of our lives. And similarly, if we are to study an organization or a movement, we can see tipping points that mark a distinct cultural shift, and th these shifts alter the movement's future outcomes. So let's take a journey all the way back to 2009 to discuss a tipping point in the Bradley football program. In 2009, 21 years had passed since the Bradley Central Bears defeated their crosstown rivals, the Cleveland Blue Raiders. Any Raiders fans in the house today? Okay, I thought there's at least a few of you. So if you're not from here, here's some context to what we're talking about into 2009. See, these two teams actually didn't play for all of those 21 years because the rivalry got out of control. Really, it was even violent at times. It was just too intense. But to even go back to the 90s, Cleveland football was very dominant in the 90s with back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back state championships in 93, 94, 95, and they were also dominant in the rivalry. For example, in 1992, Cleveland and Bradley played. Cleveland won 26 to nothing. The rivalry was suspended due to violence. and It was just craziness. When it resumed in 2001, Cleveland picked up right where they left off and won 61 to 34. The result of this 21-year drought was a defeatist mindset in the Bradley football program. Now, what is a defeatist mindset? It's the mindset that they are the big, bad blue Raiders, and we're just the Bears who get beat by them every single year. So this was the culture of the Bradley football program. So we get to 2009. It was Damon Floyd's fourth year. He's still the head coach. I was coaching, and we played Cleveland at Cleveland. And at halftime, the game was, was really close. 
And we had a freshman quarterback. His name was Bryce Copeland. And Bryce hadn't spoken a word all year except to call the plays. Okay? Here's why he never spoke. He had an offensive line that was, they were almost all seniors. They almost all benched over 300 pounds and squatted over 400 pounds. And they looked like they ate lunches that were bigger than Bryce. Okay? So Bryce's role was just to call the plays and to keep his mouth shut and not get beat up or eaten by the offensive line. Okay, that was his role. So this freshman quarterback, he had played, Bryce had played middle school football at, at Cleveland Middle School. So we're playing at Cleveland, and Bryce had played many games in this stadium. So halftime comes, and Bryce speaks to the whole team for the first time all year. And everybody's like, whoa, this guy can even talk? We didn't know if he was mute. We, didn't, all, we thought he could do was call plays. So he speaks for the first time, and he said something like this. Look. I've never lost on this field, and I'm not going to start tonight. And everybody was fired up, shocked first, like he speaks, and then fired up, like, yeah, let's go. And what Bryce did is Bryce introduced into this defeatist mindset, he introduced a winning culture. He didn't have this defeatist mentality that had plagued the program for so long. So in the second half, Bryce goes out, and he throws the, the go-ahead touchdown, and as is the case in rivalries, Cleveland was a good football team. They tied it up. The game goes into overtime. In overtime, Bryce throws the game-winning touchdown. We break the 21-year drought, win the game 27-26. to 26. And what happened is that game was a tipping point for a cultural shift in the Bradley football program away from a defeatist mindset to the point of view that we are overcomers. Now, the type of tipping point that we're talking about this morning, here's where we diverge from Malcolm Gladwell's definition. See, the type of tipping point we're discussing doesn't produce instantaneous change. It's not like the tipping point occurs and then just, boom, change. It actually begins a process of change. So if we're still in 2009, guess what happened in 2010? Cleveland B. Bradley, 33 to 15, really wasn't even close. So it could have, would have been very easy for the coaches and players that next year to go, here we go again. Guess last year was our one win every 20 years, right? Defeat us mindset. They're the big bad blue Raiders. We're just going to get beat again. It would have been very easy to do that. But in 2009, with that victory, what happened is permanent change occurred. And so the reaction wasn't, here we go again. The reaction was, hey, victory is possible now. Just because we lost this year, victory is possible. And so Bryce's Junior and senior year, Bradley won both years, and Bryce became the only quarterback in Bradley's history to go 3-1 and one against Cleveland. And when he graduated, the culture had shifted. It was no longer big, bad Cleveland versus loser Bradley. Suddenly, it was two respected football programs in a legitimate rivalry where anybody can win. So if you're a Raider fan, this isn't like putting you guys down. It was just saying, we got up to where both are respected. So in the last four years, here's what's happened. Cleveland won two in a row, then Bradley won two in a row, and that is a huge departure from the 21-year drought and this defeatist mindset. So the game in 2009, it was a tipping point from a defeatist mindset to a culture where we are overcomers. And as a result of that game and that shift, this process of change that's occurred over the past seven, eight years, the Bradley football program will never be the same. And that has actually been my prayer for us this morning and for this gathering. I've been praying and I'm continuing to pray that this morning is a tipping point in our lives. And that this morning is a tipping point in your life and in my life that begins a process of change that produces 
permanent change. See, many of you walked in this morning just like the Bears from 1992 to 2008. You walked in defeated. You were living with the defeatist mindset and you were beat down in life. And I don't have to name anything specific because you immediately know what your struggle is. And as a result, there are some people in this room who aren't even sure if victory is possible. There are some people in this room who can't even imagine the feeling of what it would be like to overcome. And I'm currently reading a book by Louis Giglio called Goliath Must Fall, and I've been listening to a series of podcasts about this book as well. And in the book and podcast, he addresses what's called Murphy's Law. Does anybody know what Murphy's Law is? Anybody say it? Yes, basically, you're almost right, Chase. Here it is. It's on the screen. Murphy's Law. Can we read this together? If anything can go wrong, it will. Do you know people that live like this? Maybe you live like this. If it is possible to go wrong, what's going to happen? It's going to go wrong. Here's the thing. Murphy's Law is a foundational principle in a defeatist mindset. Unless you feel discouraged that you may have bought into this, this idea is actually in the Bible. In Ecclesiastes, a book written by the guy that was considered the wisest person on earth in his time period, here's what he said, Ecclesiastes 10, verse 8. He said this, he who digs a pit will fall into it. So if you go out this afternoon and start digging a hole, guess what's going to happen? You'll fall into it. He goes on and says, a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. If you tear down a wall, watch out, you'll get snake bitten. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. If you work with stones, you're going to get injured by them. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. Some of you men are going to use this as an excuse to not split logs for your wife. Like, I might get hurt, babe. You know, I can't do it. But this is Murphy's Law. If something can go wrong, guess what? It will. But here's the thing. Today could be a change moment for us. Today could be a tipping point in many of our lives. God does not want us to live with a defeatist mindset. And God has principles that supersede Murphy's law. And you don't have to take my word for this. This is not a self-help talk today where you just do four things and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Then we walk out of here and we're overcomers. Now, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to read a few verses in 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to let the truth of God's word change us. And as we finish our series this morning called The Refining Word, this is the heart of the series, that God's Word refines or changes us. And look, this defeatist mindset, this trap that that creates in our lives, this is applicable to every single one of us. Even the biggest overcomer in the room is susceptible to the defeatist mindset at times. And if you're here and this is a big struggle for you, chances are you've tried to change. You've listened to talks, you've read books, you've talked to people. Chances are you've put some effort into it and you walked in today thinking, I don't even know if change is possible. But this morning, we're going to discover that there is one book that contains truth that offers change that we are looking for. And that book is the word of God. And so I'm praying that the truths that we read in 1 John chapter 5 literally initiate a tipping point in our lives so that we are never the same after today. So would you join me in that prayer? Jesus, we need you. We cannot 
pick ourselves up on our own and become overcomers. You have to do something in our minds. You've got to change us, Jesus. And so I ask, would you do that? Would you change our mindsets? Would you let this morning be a tipping point in our lives? Would you let today begin a process of change that produces permanent change in us? You want us to be overcomers, but you're the only one that can make us that. So Jesus, as we dive into your word, would you speak to us, please? In your name we pray, amen. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, we're going to be in 1 John 5, as I said. We'll be in verse 4 and verse 5. We're going to start out in verse 4. And the idea is that after today, even we walk out of here and fail, because that's going to happen, that the mindset isn't here we go again, but it's no, this time is different because of today. So 1 John 5, 4, we're just going to look at the first part of the verse. It says, for everyone who has been born of God over comes the world. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now I know for a lot of us, when we're struggling and we're in this defeatist mindset, it is so easy to just brush this off. In fact, we might insert in our lives for everyone except me who has been born of God overcomes the world. Anybody like that? You're like, everybody except me. This doesn't apply to me because we're so beat down. But before we just dismiss this statement, we got to understand John's perspective. He was one of Jesus's followers. The word for that is disciple. John was actually one of Jesus's best friends. He gave up everything to follow Jesus, yet his world came crashing down one night when Jesus was arrested. And so as Jesus was arrested, John's world is just bad at this point. But, but if the rest is bad, it gets worse as John watched Jesus get beat. Literally, just tortured to the point of having the flesh ripped off his back. And the whole time, John had to be thinking, this guy's innocent. I've been with him the past three years. I've never seen him make a mistake. Stop. But it didn't matter what John thought. The circumstances kept getting worse. And soon, John found himself staring up at Jesus on a cross, looking at a Jesus who is barely even recognizable. And then John saw him die. And at that point, John had to think it's over. All the promises of Jesus, null and void. All the hope offered by Jesus is simply gone. And as John went to bed that night, it must have seemed like Murphy's Law reigned. And John went to sleep with a defeatist mindset. But that was Friday night. And on Sunday morning, John was with some of the other disciples or Jesus followers trying to figure out, hey, what are we going to do? And they received word that the tomb was empty, that Jesus' body was gone. So John and one of the other disciples, they, they sprinted to the tomb and they found it empty. But John, with his own words, he said, I began to believe, but I didn't fully even understand it all yet. But then soon after that, John met the resurrected Jesus, the Jesus who had overcome death and the grave. So when John writes in chapter 5, verse 4, that everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, John writes as someone who knows the defeatist mindset. Someone who at one point thought evil and darkness had won, but someone who knows that no power, not even death, is strong enough to keep Jesus down. And then Jesus went up to heaven. You know, in all honesty, the adversity continued. Maybe even got 
worse at that point. As John watched most of the other disciples whom he had spent three years with following Jesus around, he watched most of them be murdered for the name of Jesus. John himself was imprisoned on an island. It was an attempt to isolate him and diminish his influence. See, John was someone who saw a whole lot of evil in his days, but but his time with the resurrected Jesus convinced him that everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. That's the context of John. That's who's writing, and that matters to us because we're not going to believe some pie in the sky, out of touch with reality optimist who writes, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and it's just cupcakes and unicorns every day. No, we're not going to believe that. But someone who's lived through adversity, who stared darkness in the face, who knows and has even battled a defeatist mindset, we're going to believe them, and that's who John is. So basically, John has street cred, if you know what we're saying. And so now that we've established John's street cred, the question is, who overcomes the world? Who is it that overcomes the world? Thankfully, John is super clear and says, everyone who's been born of God. Not clear at all, is it? In fact, some of you read that and you're like, "Uh, yeah, that's why I don't read the Bible. Because I start to read the Bible and then it's hard to understand. If that's you, I just want to offer some pushback. See, you may look at that and think, well, that's hard to understand, and that's why I'm not going to read the Bible. But instead of taking on that defeatist mindset that I'll never understand the Bible, just keep reading. See, here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit has woven ideas and themes throughout the Bible. And this one verse may not make sense. But what John has done, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is he has other writings that actually explain this verse. Because John weaves the idea of being born of God, or another way that he says it is being born again, he weaves this into his writings. So if we keep reading, we can find clarity. But if we give up and stop reading, we will never find the clarity that we're looking for. In fact, if we just back up to the first part of the chapter, to chapter 5, verse 1, look at how it starts. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. See, he's addressing it again. We just have to look up a little what, a little bit. And he says, everyone who what? Can we read the phrase in yellow together? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So what in the world does it mean? Well, the word Christ simply means king and savior of the world. But, but let's dig even a little deeper. See, John didn't just write this book. He actually has a few books, one of whom is self-titled John. An extremely creative title that makes us wondering, who really wrote this? Um, So he wrote the book of John. And in John, he actually has one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. And it's famous for a lot of reasons. One reason it's famous is because of Tim Tebow's eye black. Ladies, you may not like sports, but you were checking out his eye black because, anyway, we'll just leave it at that. But John 3.16 is one of the most famous verses ever. But here's what we miss a lot of times. This verse is actually situated in the context of a conversation. This is a conversation between Jesus and a religious leader. And guess what the topic is? The topic is, what does it mean to be born again or born of God? And so here's what Jesus said. John 3, 16, it'll be on the screen for us. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Believe 
This word comes up again. And in the original language, both in 1 John 5 and in John 3.16, the word believe implies trust. Here's what we all know about trust. Trust requires action. It's one thing to say that you trust, but we don't really know if you trust until you prove it by your action. So everyone who believes in Jesus has been born of God. What's our action to show that we believe? It's actually really simple. It's surrender. Our action is just surrender. Our action is giving Jesus control of our lives. Here's what John wants us to get. The path to overcoming begins with surrendering to Jesus. The path to overcoming begins with surrendering to Jesus. We stop trying to overcome on our own. We stop trying to earn God's approval and we accept that Jesus did all the work on the cross. We simply surrender. We ask Jesus to forgive us, not because we deserve it, but because he died on the cross to forgive us. We ask Jesus to give us a relationship with God, a relationship that we desperately need but in no way deserve. And when we surrender, Jesus changes us from the inside out. He forgives us. He restores us to a right relationship with God. And baptism is a display of that. We saw this morning a display of Jesus changing us, a display of us being born again or born of God. Because when Eli came out of the water, that is a visible symbol to us of what it means to be born of God. And in the moment that we surrender, from that moment forward, we embrace the journey of following Jesus. We become a Jesus follower. We become someone who's been born of God. So who is it that overcomes? If we were to summarize in our own words what John is saying, here's what he's saying. Everyone who is a Jesus follower overcomes the world. Jesus is the key. Without Jesus, we're defeated. Without Jesus, Murphy's law reigns. But with Jesus, we're overcomers. Listen to Jesus' own words in John 16, 33. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Why do we need peace? Because in the world you will have tribulation. Jesus is saying adversity is inevitable. You're going to have trials. Bad things are going to happen. But when that, those trials come, take heart, because I have overcome the world. One scholar wrote this. He said, the victory is already won by Jesus, and it's being continuously won right now by the church. That Jesus already won the victory. He overcame the world, and any wins that we get are us just simply following in Jesus' footsteps. And that's what distinguishes this talk from a self-help talk. It's not about our strength, but His power. And don't take my word for it. Again, back in 1 John chapter 5, look at the last part of verse 4. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. The last part says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Another translation says, we achieve this victory through our faith. See, the thing about faith is that faith, belief, trust, they're all very similar words, and they're challenging us to do one thing, to surrender. We must surrender our lives to Jesus in order to become overcomers. So if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, lasting victory, it's just not possible until you surrender 
to Jesus. But when we surrender, we begin the path to overcoming. And here's what we've got to understand. That Jesus didn't die and rise again for Murphy's Law to reign. That Jesus died and rose again for us to walk in the power of the empty tomb. He died and he rose again for us to be overcomers. And the path to overcoming begins with surrender. But that leaves us with another question. What is it that we are overcoming? What can we gain victory over? See, this truth can't change us if we keep it at arm's distance. If we keep this truth at arm's distance, it simply can't change us. But we must internalize John's words. And we must apply them to specific situations in our lives. That's how God's word is going to refine us. So right now, I invite you to get out your phone or get out your journal. We're just going to take just a moment, probably about 30 seconds, because all of us probably know what is causing us to have a defeatist mindset. We don't have to think about a whole lot. But in your phone, in your journal, I just invite you to take just a moment, write down some specific struggles that lead you, that lead me to have a defeatist mindset. So write those down. Take just a moment. doesn't take us long to go write those down, does it? Guys, girls, maybe it's lust in whatever form that takes. You're sitting here as a man or a woman and saying, I don't know if victory is even possible. I've failed so many times. Guys, girls, maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's just that battle that you walk in the room and you immediately start comparing and you're never good looking enough. You're never talented enough. You're never smarter enough. There's always someone better than you and those insecurities just seem to cripple you. I know for me sometimes it's, hey, will I ever make big progress on my schedule? Am I always going to be struggling with this? Or can I ever like be someone who is not struggling with being a workaholic, who like errs on the side of spending lots of time with this family? Or am I always going to be, oh, geez, I haven't spent time with my family. Oh, geez, I haven't done this. Oh, geez, I need to go home from work. Like, can I ever get over that hump and become an overcomer? It's a question that all of us have to ask is, do we believe? that victory is possible. Now, we can read this truth, but do we actually believe that victory is possible? Because the path to overcoming begins with surrender, but the path to overcoming continues with believing that Jesus can give us victory. See, the path to overcoming continues with believing that Jesus can give victory. And so what can Jesus give us victory over? Can Jesus give us victory over our struggles? Well, three times in verses four and five, this phrase occurs, and it's the world. Here's what the world really means. It's the summary of all the powers that are opposed to God. It's a summary of everything in your life and in my life that just beats us down. And here's what he says three different times, that in Christ, We have overcome the world. 
And just as a side note, this wasn't written to an individual. This was actually written to a gathering of Jesus followers or to churches. In other words, for us as a church as well, not just us as individuals, that whatever assaults the enemy brings on us, we can overcome the world. So whatever your struggle is and whatever my struggle is, it falls under the umbrella of the world. But now we might be thinking, well, what kind of victory do we get? Do we get the kind of victory where I win once and then I just lose, 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 right? and I just never make any progress? Or can I get victory that's actually lasting? Well, the word overcome appears three times. In the middle of verse four, it actually appears and it's overcome. And the tense of that is they aortist. And here's what it means. It means that it's looking back on an event that occurred in the past. Guess what event that's looking back on? The cross. And it's saying, hey, guess what? Your victory has already been won by the cross. But the other two times this word overcome appears, it's overcomes. It's in the present, the active voice. And here's what it speaks of. It speaks of a victory that is continual. It's saying that we can defeat Whatever is holding us down over and over and over again, the win that Jesus offers us is a lasting, continuous lifestyle of victory rather than a lifestyle of defeatism. And just in case we don't get it, read verse 5. Verse 5, he says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then we know that he died on the cross. We know that he rose from the dead. And we know that he has the power to make us overcomers. Here's what's awesome about this. That confidence in the identity of Jesus is one weapon the enemy cannot prevail against. Confidence. Not in who I am. Not in who you are. Confidence in the identity of Jesus is one weapon the enemy cannot prevail against. So do you believe? I think there's still many of us in this room where we're, we're beat down so much that we want to believe. But we don't know if we can. We don't really know how to begin to believe. So here's how we're going to end by asking this question, how do we believe? How do we make sure that today really is a tipping point? That we don't just walk out of here and get on with our lives with a defeatist mindset. That we truly walk out of here and look back on today as a change moment. Here's the final thought. Overcomers. Overcomers replace lies with truth. Here's what overcomers do. Overcomers replace lies with truth. This defeatist mindset is based on on lies, the lies that we can't win, the lie that we will never overcome. And this morning we've read truth, yet many of us aren't fully convinced. Why is that? Because the defeatist mindset that we walk around with is built on years and years of lies. And one short talk and two simple verses is not going to erase this foundation of years and years of lies that we have built up in our lives. And that's why the prayer is this morning. This morning becomes a tipping point, a tipping point that starts a process of change that produces permanent change. That's the prayer this morning. And how do we do that? Because overcomers walk out of this space and we consistently replace truth with lies. Practically, we do that by soaking up the truth. We've got to soak up the truth. And we soak up the truth by spending time in God's refining word. 
Look, many of us throughout this series have actually read through 1 John. But if we're going to walk as overcomers, if we're going to replace lies with truth, we can't just end with 1 John. Oh, check mark. I get a star. I'm a little Christian sheet because I am awesome and I read through 1 John. Yay, give me multiple stars. No, we've got to keep reading. We've got to keep spending time in the Word. Because if we do not consistently spend time in the Word, we will be defeated. If we do not consistently spend time in the Word, we will be defeated. Because God's Word, this is where we find the truth that replaces the lies. And if you're saying, well, how do I even do that? We have a booklet, a resource called Public Disciples. And if you flip to the back of it, it actually has a method for studying the Bible. And so you can pick up one of these on your way out on the coffee table. You can go to our app and download an electronic version that will be on your phone. But this is a tool that enables every single one of us to spend time in the Word after this. And then hopefully you could also get one of these and ask somebody, hey, would you journey with me? Would you go on a journey with me of replacing truth with lies? And you could actually walk through the questions in this book as part of that change. You know, the thing about Jesus, if we really look at his life and if we pattern our life after Jesus, and that's one of our core values, then it's not enough to actually just read his word. We have to memorize it. And that's the point that I was like, ugh, memorizing. I hated vocabulary tests in school. You know, it sounds so terrible. But but here's why this matters. When Jesus had a standoff with the devil, no, I did not misspeak. That's in the Bible. Another reason to actually read the Bible. Okay, Jesus versus the devil, three rounds. When Jesus had a standoff with the devil, it's in the Bible. Go home and read it. Here's what he uses to defeat the devil. Verses he'd memorized. Truth that was hidden in his mind and in his heart. And look, I get this, some of us in the room struggle memorizing things. Maybe you can't memorize it word for word, but can you just get the principle? Here's some truth that I think all of us would benefit from hiding in our hearts. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. It's going to be on the screen, and here's what it says. It says this, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. The same language. And he says, for he who is in you is greater than than he who is in the world. You are from God. You have overcome them. I think this is a verse that every single one of us should memorize. But let's say we can't memorize it. Here's the principle. The next screen has the basic principle. And it's changed to internalize us. Can we read this together? It says, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Read that one more time. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Find a partner near you. Say it to them. Person one. Try not to look at the screen. Ready? Go. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Person two, go. He who is in us. Good. Change the slide. Here we go. No cheat sheet this time. All right. New slide. Here we go. Ready? He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That wasn't that hard, was it? We're putting truth in our hearts and as we do that guess what's being dislodged a lie every time that we put truth in it's dislodging a lie and overcomers they replace lies with truth over and over again for me personally this past week fear began to creep in actually two weeks ago fear began to creep in we found out that we're going to have a little boy which is pretty exciting for us and so as we found that out, though, 
fear began to creep in because immediately I began to think about pastor's sons that just didn't follow Jesus, just rejected Jesus, rejected the faith, or maybe pretended like they did, but didn't really follow Jesus. And I began to think of these people, and then fear crept in that, is that going to be my son? Is my son going to do that? And very quickly, in that moment, he who is greater that is in me spoke. The Holy Spirit spoke and said, that's a lie. You don't need to believe that. And as I was reading that week in 1 John 4, in our journey through 1 John, here's where God brought me in verse 18. He brought me to truth in his word. He said in verse 18, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See, here's what the Holy Spirit taught me, that if I have fear in my heart, I need to love God and love others more because perfect love cast out fear. And look, fear has to do with punishment. And as a Jesus follower, as someone who surrendered to Jesus, I'm exempt from the judgment of God. I'm exempt, not because I'm anybody, but because of who Jesus is, because of the cross. So there's no point in me fearing. There's no punishment for me in eternity there's just reward because of who Jesus is. And so if we have fear in our lives, this truth says love more. Let the Holy Spirit empower us to love more because as love, that word perfected means matures. As love matures in us, love pushes fear farther and farther out. Do you see how truth dislodges lies? Philippians 4.8, the last piece of truth that we're going to look at, I think it would just benefit all of us to memorize this, and you're going to see this verse and think, holy smoke, she must memorize this. It's unbelievable. So maybe you can't memorize it. Look it up on the Bible app on your phone. Get that if you don't have it. Screenshot it. Store it. Write it on an index card. Put it in your dashboard. Read it every morning before you start your day. Just get this truth in front of you, and then over time, you'll begin to remember it. Because here's what it says. It says, when you're struggling with insecurity... Don't think about insecurity. Don't compare yourself to others. Think about whatever is true. When you're tempted to look at pornography, think about whatever is honorable. When you're tempted to cheat someone, do and think about whatever is just, whatever is pure. When you're trying to decide how you're going to act at work, do whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable. And if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, then think about, highlight, set your mind on those things because we have the Holy Spirit within us and greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. If we're going to walk out of here and be overcomers, if today is going to be a tipping point for us, that begins a process of change that produces permanent change, then overcomers replace lies with truth. So will we start that today? We're going to have an opportunity to respond. And as we have that opportunity to respond, maybe your response is simply this. Maybe you're saying, hey, I've never surrendered to Jesus. And I can't overcome until I surrender to Jesus. Then you can pray right where you're at. You can say, Jesus you died. You rose again. Would you forgive me? Would you give me a relationship with God? Would you make me an overcomer? And in this moment, you can be born of God. In this moment, you can become a Jesus follower and you can start a lifetime of embracing the journey of following Jesus.
And if that's where you're at, and if you want to do that, we just ask one thing. Would you please tell us? Because we want to celebrate with you. And guess what? Next time we're doing baptisms, it can be you out there that we're screaming for and making noise about. And if you have any questions about that, there's going to be someone from the refuge room that will be underneath the exit sign. And they would love, love to talk to you. And look, some of you are in this room and, and you've done a whole lot to try to overcome this defeatist mindset. And you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, I don't even know how to begin identifying truth. Like I can read truth in the word, but I struggle with even identifying what truth is. And look, we believe strongly in counseling here. And you may need a counselor to help you begin to even identify and recognize truth so that you can replace the lies with the truth. And if that's you, please talk to someone from the refuge room. They would love to get you connected to a counselor. And so the band's going to come on up. And as they do, we're going to have an opportunity just simply to respond. And, and so what I want to invite you to do is you can remain seated. And you can journal, you can respond in one of the ways that we've already mentioned. You can actually get up out of this place and go in the lobby and grab a public disciples booklet right now and then come back in here and worship through song. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to make sure that today's a tipping point for us because we're going to sing some songs and we're going to declare truth. And through the lyrics of these songs, what we want to do is we want to begin in the last remaining moments we have today to dislodge lies in our hearts. So here's the lyrics that we're going to sing in just a moment. The song is called This We Know. Here's what the first verse says. Here's the truth. It says, Jesus, you are who you say you are. You are who you say you are. You'll do what you say you'll do. You'll be who you've always been to us. You're Jesus. It goes on to say, our hope is in you alone. That's truth. That we can't overcome on our own, but our hope is in you alone. Our strength is in your mighty name. You're our peace in the darkest day remains Jesus. And here's what the chorus says. It says, this we know, that we will see the enemy walk away and just kind of come back. No, run! We will see the enemy run. That this we know, we will see the victory Come, that we're going to hold on to every promise that Jesus has made because Jesus, you are unfailing. That's what we're going to sing together. We're going to dislodge some lies right here in this moment. And we're going to let this be a tipping point for us to leave here and continue replacing truth with lives because your identity in Christ and my identity in Christ is an overcomer. And he is unfailing. So when you're ready, let's sing and let's declare truth with all we've got. Because he is our only hope and he is offering us the ability to win today. Jesus, would you move? Would you speak to us? Jesus, would you let the truth of these lyrics resonate in our hearts? Would you let us leave this place and let it resonate through our lives? Jesus, even in these moments, would you get some lies out of our hearts? And would you replace it with truth because of what we know about you?